0: Thank you. Blackout Day was a complicated event in Arcadia. To some it was a sort of Independence Day, for others. It was the day District 2 gave up on the Neo-Atlantean dream of a better, ever-evolving human existence. It shows for itself the freedom of exile. The day marked a crowning culmination of powerful unrest where refugees had demanded a place of their own in Neo-Atlantis, and were prepared to take that by any means necessary even if it meant losing almost every privilege that they'd sought from the city. After all, even a life lived on the borders of greatness was preferable to what they'd left in the old world. Johnny picked her way through the crowded streets with purpose. The sound of light rain drizzling upon canopies and umbrellas accompanied the sound of a makeshift night market that had formed for the occasion. The scent of cooked meats and spices that might have been considered exotic in any place but the city infiltrated her nose to remind her She had yet to eat today.
1: I've always felt out of place on Blackout Day. Not trying to be dramatic, but isn't it a bit like celebrating a birth on the same day as a death? I'm walking on streets that used to be covered in the same solar panels we've ripped out and repurposed to hook directly into an infrastructure that's jury-rigged and old world at best. So, a a little Neo-Atlantean history lesson for you then. The way Revic tells it is that back in 2067, when Dark Fathom popped the EMP bomb that put us in this state, they did so to one purpose. To irreparably damage the district so that Kraken would never be able to fix it. Sounds nuts, right? It's a game of chicken with God as your opponent. The Corp had two options after Dark Fathom called a checkmate. Drop Arcadia into the sea and start over again. Or figure that they'd never keep all us undesirable riffraff out of their paradise forever. To keep Arcadia as, well, I suppose it's a catch basin of sorts. is isn't all that hard to figure out which way they went since Arcadia is still standing. Every city needs its underbelly, after all. And Neo-Atlantis had settled its demand for one.
0: Reaching her destination, she stowed the thoughts of her mentor and his history lessons and quickened the pace to cross the street and push her way through the Albatrosses' doors. Much like the street outside, the albatross was unusually busy. To a casual observer, the crowd might have even looked like that of a normal nightclub. At least, until figuring that every person in the place was a criminal of some stripe or another. Blackout Day did strange things to this town though, and even an out-of-the-way hub like this one was a destination. Scanning the crowd, it wasn't long before her cyber eye came up with a positive match for her contact. The gunrunner she'd spoken to through the intercall wore the same dodgy expression on his face now as he had during their meeting. With a roll of her eyes, she noted he was seated in one of the poorly lit corner booths men like him often favoured, the ones that made them feel secretive and in control. His eyes were glued on the translucent surface of his holocom, though she couldn't make out the projection on the screen as she approached.
2: Ahem. We doing this or what? Well, isn't it just Johnny? Why don't you have a seat give me some details
1: i'd rather just get paid and walk if i'm to be honest a debriefing wasn't part of the deal
2: you're right it wasn't let's call it a courtesy to the gun runners it'd go a long way how about i say that there's a curiosity going around and how things went down in the zone
0: with a hesitant sigh johnny shook her head before sitting down across from the now grinning gun runner as he tucked his holocom into his jacket She didn't like giving up positions so early in this exchange. But this sort of professional courtesy wasn't a big ask. Etiquette in these meetings could sometimes be a delicate dance, even with arseholes like this one. He slid a small case with three vials of blue liquid across the table. Lucidity. It had become a popular club drug over the past few years with the neo-Atlantean elite.
1: I don't use. That stuff makes you... Look, never mind... Sort of it is that I arrived on site to find the troca had made the job easy. They'd gathered up all four crates in the foundation of some blown up building. They were smart enough to build some makeshift walls around the pit and had brought in tools to force the crates open, along with guns to defend their score. Even still, they were having a hard time getting them open. It got even harder for them when I started sending bullets their way. It got messy but I had every advantage, so it was over fast. Brought in a flight car with a hitch to airlift the crates out of that hole one at a time to be delivered into the waiting hands of your people. But you already know that part. Happy?
2: Very. I'm told most of the guns survived the drop. I was also told there might have been a fifth crate.
1: You're right about that. Spotted something you didn't for a little bonus. I was upfront about biting off a piece for myself if I could. Knew you'd be upset if I sold them, so I figured I'd just go ahead and keep the little beauties for myself. Five chips and a couple more days isn't bad for a day's work.
2: Not bad indeed. That said, it would have been professional to have given me the first bit on them. I'll tell you what, how about I give you three extra chips for the pistols? That's eight chips for a job well done, and we save the gunrunners any possible disappointment.
1: Don't low-key threaten me. The deal is already done. Should've wrote first bid terms into the contract if you wanted them. Besides, these shooters have sentimental value to me already. Went through a lot to get that spare case, so I'm gonna be honest with you. Who do you think the gunrunners are gonna be more disappointed with? A smart merc? Or a shite for brains broker? Too high to cut a proper deal? Let's have those chips before you embarrass yourself further. We're done.
0: Crossing her arms, she leaned back in the booth as she'd wrongly assumed the man to be rummaging in his deep pockets for her payment. Her eyebrows raised as she was instead met with the surprise of a pistol he let her see before subtly sliding the piece under the table.
1: Ooh, bold to be pulling that out inside the hub. to away, and I'll assume the lucidity's got your blood pumping too heavy. Last and only chance I'm giving you.
2: You don't get it, do you? I need those pistols or I'm going to lose favour. I've come too fucking far to lose any momentum at this point. I pull this off, and I'm a made man. I'm not going to let some merc screw me out of that. Take the deal. The offer's fair.
1: Your offer is so much bullshit. I don't make deals at the point of a gun. Hold on a quick second, will you? Management, please?
2: You shouldn't have
0: done that. A frenzied, desperate panic entered the eyes of Tucker Castile. The celebratory lucidity that he'd injected, so sure of himself roared through him, the beat of the music pounding through his blood on behalf of the drug. Too much, she thought. He'd taken too much and was now a slave to impulse. The dose that had previously been propping up his confidence now locked onto his fear of failure, his desperation. Suddenly he found himself standing, his bulky Atlas renegade pistol pointed directly at the defiant Murk, at the sprawl scum who had only moments ago been entertained in watching him fail Sweat poured down his brow as a twisted grin spread across his face.
1: See what you made me do? See what you fucking made me do! I do. For all it's worth, I'm sorry for it too.
0: The music in the club suddenly cut out, stopped by Nick Ballard as he slammed his fist on the bar in front of him. As if to emphasize his rage, two light machine guns slid down from their concealed panels in the albatross's ceiling immediately targeting the identified threat.
3: What's all this then? Guns up, huh? Guns all up and out? The nerve on you, you fuck! Holster it before I have to put you on ice!
4: As long as my body
3: ain't sitting on the bottom of the ocean, this place is still a hub, and you will respect my goddamn rules! Who are you kidding?
2: You dried up has-been! You wouldn't dare! <laughs> ah! Ah, My arm! You blew up my fucking arm! You're
3: goddamn right I did!
2: The
0: vice-like grip of a large android, clearly a former builder like Revik had once been, roughly seized the shocked body of Mr. Castile, before yanking him from his feet and escorting him to the back door exit of the albatross. Meanwhile, the tracked bar drone was already sliding both the disenfranchised arm of the offender and his weapon into a disposable bin. Johnny assumed he'd be right back to efficiently mop up the blood and section off the booth so that business could continue as usual in the wake of the disturbance. She'd assumed right.
3: Clean up that mess! Get the music back on! This is still a party, right? Johnny! Come here, if you would. It's a request, not a demand.
1: That was all a bit dramatic, wasn't it?
3: Mm, maybe so. It's been a while since anyone's fool enough to draw inside the albatross. There are a lot of outsiders under our roof tonight. Serves as a good reminder that there are still laws that must be observed. And there ain't anyone above those rules. Not in our business. You're not afraid the Gunrunners will have something to say about that? Not in the slightest. But now, our boy did is getting picked up by every hub in Arcadia. That jackass won't be welcome to do business in any place worth a damn going forward. It's jinxed. The Gunrunners! Like the other factions Abide by the same law The one That keeps all This Running Right The Underworld Accord The deal was done Done and logged in the hub record We'll take care of your payout Until the gunrunners reimburse us We don't hold people to new deals Or rob a at gunpoint After we've closed one The gunrunners will honour it Before cutting Mr Castile off All this is well and good But It's not why I called you over no, just a spot of
1: convenient timing then.
3: I call it more unfortunate than convenient. I've got a deal of my own to cut tonight. And I was hoping you might consider making some more chips.
0: Johnny looked back to the booth where the little janitorial drone was cleaning up the smear of blood from the booth's wall. Its thin, extendable arms sponging at the mess. In a normal nightclub, what had happened was usually the end of the night. With this tough crowd though, it only served to reassure them the dramatic show of force doing its work to reinforce the house's rules as unbreakable, promising their safety from further outbursts such as the one that had occurred. Turning back to the bartender, Johnny regarded him with an expectant look. Her brow wrinkled in acceptance as she nodded to herself.
1: All right, you can call me interested then. It's not like you to take out jobs, Nick. Don't think I've ever heard of you sponsoring work directly. It's personal.
3: It's not personal as much as it's... It's just... necessary. Truthfully, it's of more importance to the hob than it is to me. Normally wouldn't ask someone so soon after a job's closed either. Downtime's important for a Merc. But I need someone I can trust on it. Sooner, rather than later.
1: And you feel we've got that trust, do you?
3: We're still dealing, aren't we? Don't make me lay it all out on the table for you. It'd ruin our whole dynamic,
1: don't you think? We wouldn't want to spoil the mistake, no. <laughs> What is it you've gotten yourself into?
3: Fell into a situation, to be sure. I've had a job with the Utopian Society. They dispatched a contract of theirs, hold him up in a spot not too far from here for a few days. Long enough for me to get someone on it who was right for the job. What I gathered is that they wanted someone extracted, pulled out of somewhere tight. They were very close-lipped about the details, which is which more than enough to make me careful about the whole damn thing. Intuition proved to be spot on. As old man turned up dead this afternoon.
1: But has it? It
3: was gone down in a... Professional
1: manner. Can't do much if the contact is dead, Nick. The Utopians aren't likely to reach out again, right?
3: Yeah, you're right about that. And wrong. They'll just reach out to someone else. I'll be more careful about it next time. Which is why I want to reach back before they do. Our figure is strong enough psychic. Tuned for the job. I'll be able to give us something. If we can get them to the murder scene. If I can get a lead... I can leverage it back against the Utopians. I'll make something of his job, yeah.
1: That would be a trick. Never seen a psychic tune like that before. Heard stories, though. Could be too high a price tag to pull in someone like that for a job that might not even be a go at this point.
3: Ah, uh, considered that, yeah. I've got an ace up my sleeve for it. About four months ago, I came upon some bonus intel. A bit of information that's valuable to the type of man who might be able to speak to a ghost. We've got a bit of a pass, though, you know eh uh, Short of it is... There, I need you to watch his back when well, he gets all the info we're looking for. His payment will be the data. You're free to review it. Your pay, on the other hand, will be four chips and stakes on the job that comes from this little outing. Don't haggle me either, Johnny. I'm calling in every favour I've got. If this is as big as I think it's going to be, whew, the pay will be much bigger than chips.
0: Johnny closed her eyes for a moment in an effort to concentrate her thoughts. This whole thing was a roll of the dice for the albatross to be getting involved in. A leap of faith that told her that Nick needed this, or else he'd have passed on it. She knew better than to get into hub politics with the man, though. Truth was, her part of the deal was fair and rather uncomplicated. Broke an arrangement with the psychic while making sure he survives the investigation. It hadn't been the first time she'd been required to play guardian angel.
1: All right, I can live with it. I, I want you to know that I trust you. Fool that I am. The albatross has been fair to me. Truth be told, I'd have done it for less.
3: (laughs) I'll remember that for next time we cut a deal. So then, can I expect the deal is done? The deal is done.
0: The message had been a simple one, straight to the point. She sent it knowing that there was some personal weight that went along with it, knowing full well that it would not be the sort of message that she'd like to receive, if the shoe was on the other foot. I have information about Alex meet me at the smuggler's junction in an hour. The data that Nick had passed off to her wasn't what she'd expected it to be. Leads on a missing girl named Alex Webb. It seemed fairly routine stuff, over four years cold at this point. Even still, the bartender had assured him that it'd be enough to secure the services of this investigator. Leaning her back against the base of the break wall itself, she stood only a few metres from one of the many canals that led into the city proper. Johnny couldn't help but wonder if this had been the place where her family had tried to gain entry into the city so many years ago. It was almost dizzying looking up at the looming wall that seemed to disappear into the night sky above. She imagined boatloads of desperate refugees trying to scale one side of the enormous structure from the deck of some creaky ship in the pouring rain no doubt, only to have to descend the other side of it under the pressure of gunfire. It was a wonder, almost an impossibility, that a young girl might have lived to see this meeting at all. Movement pulled her mind from contemplation as the night compensation in her eye activated before zooming in on an approaching figure. He was shrouded in a classically styled trench coat that had seen a lot of wear. To complete the private investigator throwback ensemble, he wore a brimmed hat drawn low over his face. Not low enough that she couldn't make out the amphibious features and scales that marked him as one of the myrrh, illuminated by the soft glow of a cigarette the mower krakens' last and latest attempt at playing god in view of the public eye. Spliced and bred from cloning technology back in 2082, they were supposedly bred to work on the turbines below the city. A forced evolutionary step for mankind, alien even to the likes of fellow synthetics and androids, Johnny knew full well that the mower had a tough time in Neo-Atlantis because of what they were. The latent psychic ability many of their kind were found to possess didn't help the prejudice even when psionic implants were as commonly available as quality cybernetic enhancements these days. Old bigotry and
5: mistrust often died hard, even in the new world. A poor evening for an outdoor meeting.
1: Ah, I can't lean all the time.
5: Indeed, it's been a very long time since I've heard anyone say those words. You're in business with Nick Ballard then.
1: Ah, today that's a truth, tomorrow maybe not. I'm a merc, Johnny's the name. Next, set me to watch your back while you do some work for him.
5: A pleasure. I'm afraid that I do not work for, or with, Mr. Ballard. I'm sorry, but I regret that you have wasted your time.
0: With the tip of his hat, Waylon began to turn before Johnny caught his arm. Her grip wasn't hard, enough to give him a momentary pause, rather than restrain. His large, fish-like eyes stared at her with a strange empathy that seemed to penetrate her very being. Her own eyes widened uncomfortably, as she realized that the sudden physical contact had established an involuntary psychic link between them, and that he was patiently, waiting for her to realize this and let go of him. Uncomfortably, she removed her hand from his arm before trying to shake the strange feeling from her body.
1: That was intense. I'm sorry, I didn't think…
5: I understand, I did not mean to emphatically intrude, it sometimes comes unbidden. Moments between waves.
1: No, it's fine. I shouldn't have. Look, Nick told me you wouldn't want to work with him. He also said that this might change your mind.
5: It is unlikely anything will change my... resolve in regards to Mr. Ballard. Perhaps I am happy to leave the past in the past.
1: Not even if it's about Alex. Not sure to the weight of any of this or how to make sense of what I'm reading, but I scanned the data... There's details on what happened to her in here, and I think, from what I'm reading, that she could still be out there, alive, you know?
0: It was as if Wayland's cold blood had turned to ice. She knew she'd struck an immediate chord with the man as his jaw slackened, an uncomfortable look finding its way to replace a formerly inexpressive visage. Whatever resolve he'd built up, carefully prepared, in an attempt not to get involved with Nick,
5: quickly came undone. That case couldn't be solved. I didn't want to give up on her. The leads dried up and the more I dug into it the further I found myself from answers. I'm not naive. It was a cover-up. Surgical memory suppressors were created over 20 years ago and have only gotten more efficient. Alex was a friend. She deserved better. She was kind to me. Perhaps we can arrange an exchange of information. Of services.
1: Figured you might see it my way. Don't have to be a psychic to know that look. <laughs> We've all got skeletons in our closets. I don't suppose you're happy about the circumstance, but we should all be lucky for some closure. Or even a second chance. Enough of that, I suppose. Let's get move on. I'll debrief you on the way to the crime scene. I expect the sooner this is done, the better for all of us.
4: Cybernautica Breakwall is produced by Red Fathom Entertainment. This episode featured the voice talents of Abigail Turner as Johnny, Alexander Dottie as Nick Ballard, Luke A. as Whalen, Aubrey Poppleton as the Gunrunner, and special guests from episode 2.5, Chris Henry as Eddie, and Oscar Russo as Joe. Narration by Dan Bowd, and script editing courtesy of Jupiter Sanders Cybernautica is written designed and edited by Damian Sidlow Our show is 100% fan supported no sponsors or ads so if you like what you've heard here please consider stopping by CybernauticaPod.com to find out how you can back the show as well as the cool stuff that you can get for getting behind us A special thank you to Girl in Space's Sarah Ray Werner and her Podcast Now Masterclass for helping light the fire that turned into this story. Thank you for joining us this episode, and welcome to Neo-Atlantis.
0: The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers
6: flourish. I'm Jonathan Peza, the creator of the Curious Matter Anthology, and I'm betting you've probably never heard anything like our show.
3: This is the last case! Make count, Friday!
6: We adapt stories from authors like Philip K. Dick, Andre Norton, and Robert Block into binaural audio movies that transport you to new worlds.
3: Hey, get them
4: out of here!
3: That's it! You're banned for life! What's with you Braxians and lasers! Seriously!
4: I told you downtown was a bad idea. In our
6: brand new season, we explore farther into the what-ifs.
2: You think, in these instances, that somehow simply by believing things are different, they changed.
6: Doubt.
3: I don't follow.
6: I doubt something and, um, they don't change per se. They cease to ever have been we delve deeper into the realms of horror and science fiction. Nerves of steel, boys. James, sir. Please. There is no need for this.
3: I do not believe that whatever that is can understand
6: Robert, I know you are in there somewhere. If you are, we are... <coughs> uh, made it through the barrier! It's gonna hold the me!
3: His Damn. Beast! Just get
2: to my
5: <sighs> Well that's new
6: Available wherever you listen to podcasts, so sit back, grab your popcorn and listen to the Curious Matter anthology today.